If the anxiety you felt watching someone shake hands is any indication, COVID-19 has made what used to be everyday customs seem like dangerous, antiquated behavior. From exchanging cash to boarding a plane, many Americans are rethinking every facet of everyday life and bracing themselves for the changes yet to come. Whether it's upending the future of travel or opting for Apple or Google Pay instead of cash, COVID-19 continues to kickstart change and forecast the future. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about how COVID-19 has drastically transformed air travel, both logistically and emotionally. As pilots predict eerie skies ahead, some say the future of flying may never be the same, even after the virus is contained. Our second story looks at the pandemic's part in completing a slowly unrolling prophecy, the end of cash. While economists have been forecasting the death of the dollar for almost two decades now, COVID-19 may have already changed one common American behavior forever. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, how the future of flying looks bleak in the wake of COVID-19, and why pilots predict eerie skies ahead. Air travel will be different as COVID-19 cases with new protocols. Passengers get on, they're handed sanitizing wipes. Most airlines are requiring face coverings. You can tell how the airline industry is doing these days by what you hear, just the wind. COVID-19 is changing the air travel industry as we once knew it. Physically, logistically, and even emotionally, we're getting a glimpse at the future of flying as more masks, distance, and disinfectant make their way to the scenes at airports. Experts say the aviation industry will never be the same as before, even after the virus is contained. Pilots already forecast ominous skies ahead, and passengers are wary of flying more than ever. If it's any consolation, one of the very few things that will remain the same? The actual aerodynamics of a flight or the smoothness of a ride, despite the notable amount of less weight to haul around lately. But what about everything else? Things look different as masks and extra space change the visual landscape. And if you're worried flying may sound like this, the Centers for Disease Control say the risk of COVID-19 infection on an airplane is low. However, for added perspective, Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, put it this way in the spring of 2020 during a CNN Facebook coronavirus town hall. Would I get on a plane right now? I might take a second thought. I wouldn't do anything that's unnecessary. I certainly wouldn't get on a plane for a pleasure trip. It would have to be something that was really urgent. My job is the public health. If it had to do with the public health and I needed to do something for the public health, I might do that because I'm quite healthy. However, if it was just for fun, no way I would do it. Once we get past our nerves and the extra protocol rules, will it be airlines that are left with an irreversible blow to its livelihood? Ultimately, airlines are rapidly changing standard practices in an effort to make people feel more comfortable flying again. However, experts predict people won't feel confident doing so until effective treatments or vaccines are developed. Joining us now for a clearer look into the future of flying is Inverse's Ali Patillo. Hey, Ali. Hey, Tanya. So let's talk about how badly the airline industry has been hit by this first. We know it's in bad shape, but how bad is bad? 
Yeah, I mean, the short answer is very, very bad. Some estimates say passenger traffic has dropped by as much as 95%. The entire industry is predicted to lose hundreds of billions of dollars in revenue just in 2020. And pilots and systems engineers that I spoke to basically said that there's no other event in recent history that compares. Um, You know, some people have made the comparison to September 11th and the impact scene after that terrorist attack. But one pilot told me that that isn't even an accurate or remotely accurate comparison, um, that it's almost like a 9-11 happening every single day. So it's being really, really hit hard like a lot of industries. There's this um, predisposed notion about flying on planes and airplanes have a reputation. But what do we actually know about the safety of flying in the face of COVID-19? Yeah, so this was really interesting because I also kind of thought that planes were like flying Petri dishes, as one source put it to me. But I think it's too early to say that. Right now, public health authorities like the CDC and the WHO, they say that the risk of catching or spreading COVID-19 on an airplane is relatively low. And that's mostly because the quality of the cabin air is really carefully controlled. Um, So they have these special filters and ventilation systems that provide a total change of air 20 to 30 times per hour. And these filters can trap bacteria, trap germs, track viral particles that might contain the coronavirus. So it's about the same risk that you would have if you were in any kind of close quarters, um, if you weren't social distancing on a train or bus or a theater. And as you can imagine, flying might make it hard to keep your distance from people. You know, people are walking up and down the aisles to go to the restroom. They might be kind of packed in to board. And of course, transmission from that kind of close contact or direct contact is absolutely possible. I mean, airport protocol is already, you know, one of everyone's favorite pastimes. How could we expect new rules to change all the motions that we have to go through when we fly looking ahead? So airlines, as you can imagine, are really desperate to get people back in the air and help passengers feel safe and confident flying. They're instituting temperature checks, changing the way cabin service is done. So some places aren't or some airlines aren't serving hot food on the plane. Um, They're disinfecting the cabin in different ways, like upping cleaning efforts, making people kind of stay six feet apart in every line, making passengers wear masks. There's a whole laundry list of efforts and protocols that are being tested. But right now, we don't exactly know which of these interventions makes a meaningful difference. So as the pandemic goes on, we'll learn more. And the ones that work will probably stick because we've seen with other kind of global events like the liquid bomb scare in 2006, that that can rapidly change airport security measures and air travel protocols. But what some of the pilots were nervous about was that all of these measures are going to add kind of additional lags to already um, a very tedious process. One pilot told me that COVID-19 is turning air travel into a hellscape. Some people just might say, oh my gosh, it's not worth it for me to go through all of this for a short flight or a potentially unnecessary flight. I think our first thought is probably how different flying might look, but not so much how it will make us feel. Your piece got into the emotional experience and how that will change. What's your sense of the psychological and emotional toll this new era of flying might bring? 
Yeah, this was something I heard both from passengers and pilots was that anxiety from the pandemic absolutely bled into the flying experience. Um, the word I kept hearing over and over and over was eerie. Passengers were really afraid of exposure to the virus. Pilots were just quite depressed from seeing these kind of signs of their industry crumbling and wondering what that meant for their jobs. I think there was just a general sense that um, it it wasn't flying wasn't fun anymore or isn't fun right now. And I think it's going to take a while until it feels fun or even normal again. Some people predict that it'll take until we have a vaccine or therapy available. But depending on how long that takes, that could wear on people, too. You know, some people do have to travel for work. They might need to see family members there. There is necessary travel. And, you know, sometimes the, the risks, they might outweigh the benefits, but sometimes the benefits will outweigh the risks. There is more to the story at Inverse.com. Ali has been covering it all. You'll want to make sure you head there. Ali, as always, thank you. Thanks, Tanya. The common task of making change has also been altered drastically by COVID-19. However, strangely, the coronavirus pandemic may just be completing a slow-burning prophecy predicting the end of cash. Up now, the digital death of the dollar. Do you have any experience? No, sir, I have no experience, but I'm a big fan of money. I like it. I use it. I have a little. I keep it in a jar on top of my refrigerator. I'd like to put more in that jar. First of all, I know what you're thinking. People still use cash? Surprisingly for some, yes. No less than 6.5% of Americans don't even have bank accounts. In fact, cash had remained the most common form of payment until as recently as 2018, when debit cards topped paper money use for the very first time. The exponential rise of smartphones, digital spending, and payment apps has long been giving cash a run for its money. Sorry. But despite the decades-long talks of a cashless society or a digital economy at the hands of new technology, it may be a global pandemic that finally puts cash out to dry. Some evidence suggests contactless payments have jumped quickly as a result of COVID-19 as shoppers fear germs on cash and credit cards. Take MasterCard. They said that in the first quarter of 2020 alone, the company reported a 40% rise in contactless payments. Confusing messaging in early March from the World Health Organization didn't help allay any fears. The group first told The Telegraph that cash could potentially be spreading the coronavirus, only to dial things back a week later, clarifying that it did not say that cash was transmitting it. However, the damage was done. The fear of the virus had become tethered to currency, which of course plays into the long-established attitudes we've had towards cash for forever. Because, let's face it, cash is gross. But it turns out we've only been subconsciously grossed out by it this whole time. Now, stuff just got real and tangible. Coronavirus tangible. There's long been a psychology of dirty money that Americans have contended with. COVID-19 just gave us an actual pathogen to focus on each time we touch a dollar. Theodore Noseworthy, an associate professor of marketing at the Schulich School of Business at York University in Canada, breaks it down. We have these general inferences that money's dirty. Uh, in the 80s, it was uh, there's a lot of media coverage about uh, traces of cocaine on bills. A lot of people, uh, you know, expressed this as rampant drug use, but really they were getting cross-contaminated by counting machines, 
but there's a lot of inferences that we actually hold about money being dirty. There is this this innate disgust response. It's actually a pathogen cue, and we're very sensitive to pathogen cues. And this is where some of the COVID stuff really starts to play in. So have people become hard pressed to even use currency now out of fear? While the risk of getting COVID-19 from cash is low, it could change the way we use and view physical money. Now that we think money could have coronavirus on it, are we creating new habits today that will outlast the pandemic? Let's get more from Inverse's Emma Batwell, who wrote all about this. Hey, Emma. Hey, Tanya. So what kind of evidence is there that tells us people have already been changing their money habits due to the coronavirus? Yeah, I think the coronavirus has been around long enough now where we're starting to see some data come out about how it has changed people's behavior even a little bit. So back in March, there was a survey run by the Straw Hacker Group, which is a consulting firm for the electronic payments industry. So take this with a bit of a grain of salt here. But they said that out of 361 businesses, 27% of them saw an increase in customers using electronic payments. That's something like an Apple Pay or a PayPal or Samsung Pay. Um, so that has sort of, that's just one nugget of it, but you're seeing evidence of, uh, contactless payments spiking at least a little bit from other places. Um, so in MasterCard's first quarter earnings call, they reported a 40% rise in contactless payments and the soon to be CEO of MasterCard attributed that in basically entirely to the coronavirus. What was interesting to me, what jumped out at me was this validation about just how money is gross and the psychology of it all. And you wrote about how even when we see, you know, these crumpled up old bills, there's this innate disgusted response and we feel it. We're just not really aware of it. But can you further explain what's happening, how money can trigger this kind of response, even subconsciously? I actually spoke with Theodore Noseworthy, who's a professor at marketing at a business school in Canada, and he spoke to me a little bit about some of the work that he's done around money and how it makes us feel. He uh, did a study a couple of years ago suggesting that when people touch really gnarly, gross-looking dollar bills, like the kind of thing that you would fish out from between your couch, this sort of triggers an innate disgust response. And he actually told me that if you give someone these crumpled up dirty bills, they actually tend to have faster velocity through the economy because people are more willing to spend and get rid of those nastier ones first than something like a crisp $20 bill that you really want to hang on to. So he sort of hinges this on there's a pathogen cue, basically. So there's sort of this subconscious feeling that this item that looks ragged and gross is a little bit dirty. So that's like a trigger from disgust, something like a gross smell or a taste, or in some cases, you know, just anything that you sort of feel like might make you sick. Um, And his work suggests that dollar bills actually can trigger that cue, regardless of the fact that they have worth no matter what they look like. So looking ahead, you know, stores begin to open back up. Contactless is kind of this new retail buzzword. Do you see that bridging this money gap even more? You know, that seems like a good test ground for embracing cashless. People need to feel comfortable getting back into stores, you know? So it seems really logical that if you were nervous about touching cash, that you would jump directly to using something like a a contactless payment or a credit card. But there are a couple things we have to consider when we do that. So number one, not everyone can actually use a contactless payment. The other thing is that the risk of actually getting coronavirus from cash is exceedingly low. So a lot of this is sort of a psychological response. It's not really based on risk of getting the coronavirus. Businesses are 
going to have to pick up on that reaction. So a couple of the people I spoke to, it's a little bit more about perhaps there's an argument that not taking cash is a form of signaling that you're taking this seriously. It's like when you walk by a business and you see a sign that says, we disinfect our storefronts every 24 hours or whatever. But those things also remind you of everything that's happened in the past couple months. When you walk into a store, you're sort of happy to see everybody wearing a mask because it means that people are taking this seriously, but it also reminds you that you now have to wear a mask in a store. So whether or not that hastens our use of contactless payments or impacts whether we spend money, that's all stuff that scientists are actually looking at right now, and we're still not sure which way this is gonna break. And, you know, again, the the death of cash or whatever we'll call it, it's, it's been a slow burn. And despite whatever push COVID is giving the digital cause, can we truly have a cashless society anytime soon? Wouldn't that leave, like you said, you know, 6.5% of people don't even have bank accounts. It seems like this is a lean towards that direction, but it doesn't feel like we're anywhere close to that just yet, despite whatever, you know, buzzword, <laughs> digital society, what have you, is, is clamoring in the background. Yeah, I mean, I think that will the so noteworthy's prediction was that we're going to see a lot more credit card payments. And we definitely have started to see people using cards more than cash in certain uh, circumstances. So there has been evidence that in, 20, in 2018, payments for objects or goods over $10, debit cards were more commonly used than cash. So we are using cards more. Contactless payments definitely have jumped, but I don't know if this will be totally the end of cash in that we'll never use it again. We we'll probably will use cash, but I think what might change is the way that we feel about it. I mean, it definitely makes you think twice, I think all of the stuff that's happened, whether or not it's a rational reaction, um, it's a reaction that's sort of been there. It has innately been there even before coronavirus. Coronavirus gives us sort of a reason, something to focus in on and makes sort of brings all those feelings to the surface. Yeah, funny how it all comes together. Uh, really interesting stuff. Listeners can head to inverse.com for more. Emma, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Tanya. Head to Inverse.com to read more about how COVID-19 has drastically changed the future. You can click on the link in the show notes for that story and everything else we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at Inverse.com. Look for the Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening. <laughs>